Jesus, we have faith in you. You are our liberator. You set us free. So by the power of your word, would you break the chains of fear? In your name, Lord. Amen. Well, it is great to have all of you here. It's great to have you at home joining us and those in the community center, our high schoolers and our middle schoolers. Thank you all for being here. A couple of weeks ago, my wife and I went to a Mariners game with some friends of ours. And at one point, I was telling our friends, I turned to tell our friends a story. And all of a sudden, my friend stood up and I thought, how rude, right in the middle of my story. Right? I wasn't finished. And then I looked and I saw this white thing and I thought, what is that? And why is it coming so quickly? And, and by the time I realized it was a baseball, I didn't have time to like get into the catching position. So I think, I'm not sure, but I think I cringed and ducked in a very cowardly way. I just hope I didn't scream, right? So my friend got the ball and then I thought, oh, I hope that wasn't on TV. Right, like I could just see the caption, cowardly pastor ducks baseball. <laughs> and then I had this thought, you know, it's kind of a good illustration of some Christians in America today. Oh, the economy. Oh, the election. Oh, the sky is falling cringe like Dudley at a baseball game. When did we become such a nation of scaredy cats? Now, part of it is the news has been filled with shootings and racial tensions and terrorism. Now, of course, good things are happening. All kinds of good things are happening. They just don't make the news. So there's a lot of fear. Some people saying, I'm afraid this person is going to be president. Others saying, I'm afraid that person is going to be president. Still a whole lot of others saying, I'm just afraid any of them are going to be president. Fifteen years ago today, we saw just how scary the world can be in the 9-11 attacks. Then there's our personal fears. I met with some of our high school students recently to get their input on, on sermons. So thank you, high schoolers, for helping me with this. And, and one of the questions I asked was, what do you fear? Many of them said failure. Others said being excluded. I think we can all relate to that. We all have fears, relationship fears, health fears. A financial advisor told me this week he had to stop watching CNBC because it scared him so much about the economy he started giving bad advice. We are doing a sermon series called Resilient Pursuit. How do we be resilient people who pursue God's making new of all things, who pursue his revival of families, revival of faith, revival of people out of poverty? And one of the ways we can be resilient is to move in faith, not fear. Depending on how you count it, there are between three and 400 places in the Bible where God says, do not be afraid. And we read just a few of those today, ending with the Apostle Paul saying to Timothy, God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but of power, love, and self-control. Now notice, though, I said move in faith, not fear. We may feel fear. That's just normal. The issue is what are we moving in? What's driving our actions? What's driving our decisions? Is it faith or is it fear? We can feel fear but still act and decide in faith. But for many of us, and I have to put myself in this because I'm a fearful person, for a lot of us, fear drives a lot of decisions, doesn't it? Students often feel pressured to overschedule themselves just for fear that they're going to miss some experience they need on their resume to get into college. Fear means that we may get trapped in jobs we hate rather than downsize our lifestyle so that we could take a job that pays less but that we like. We don't open up in relationships for fear of getting hurt 
And often we do not take risks to be part of Jesus' rescue mission or even identify as a Christian at school or at work. And our lives get smaller as our comfort zones shrink because we're not taking risks. And we see that in, in, in Paul's address to, to Timothy. Timothy was a younger man that the Apostle Paul was mentoring. And Timothy's in charge of a church in the city of Ephesus. But he was timid. Timid Timothy. So Paul writes to encourage him. And the verse we read is interesting because it says, God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of... Now you'd sort of expect him to say, but of courage, right? That's kind of where it seems to be headed, but that's not what Paul says. Instead, he says, God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. So that's a different kind of courage than maybe we tend to think of when we think of courage. Right? Like this isn't doing something like jumping out of an airplane with no parachute, which someone recently did. Did you see that in the news? Jumped out, he jumped out of a plane without a parachute and landed in this gigantic net at the bottom. And he had to steer himself toward the net in the air. Okay, that's one kind of courage. The stupid kind. Hey, Paul means something really different. So let's look at those three words and kind of unpack them in their context to understand what, the, what kind of courage Paul is talking about. We move in faith, not fear, when we understand the power of the cross. See, Paul has something very specific in mind when he uses the word power. It's not power as in I can overpower you. This isn't a, a, about a militant, picketing, yelling Christianity that tries to overpower other people, you know, because God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but of arrogance, belligerence, and self-righteousness. Right? That's not what the verse says. Paul defines what he means by the word power in the next five verses, which in the Greek is just one long sentence. He says, join me with in, su with in suffering for the gospel. Okay, let me just stop right there. If we are going to be resilient people who pursue God's making new of all things, we will guarantee, promise you, face suffering. But suffering can also make us stronger. Because the problem with seeking safety is it shrinks our comfort zones and, until the smallest things start to scare us. I remember talking to a couple in California who were financially struggling in part because they had moved to a very expensive gated community. And the reason they did that was they were afraid for their kids' safety in the very wealthy suburb of Atherton where they lived, where there is no crime in Atherton, okay, zero crime. But they were still afraid, so they had to move to that gated community. See, if we seek to be safe, it weakens us, and pretty soon we are afraid of everything. And one of the things suffering does is expands our comfort zones, which makes us more resilient people. Join me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Then he defines that power that has been revealed through Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. The power Paul is talking about is rooted in the cross, where God pulled something good out of something so awful as Jesus' death by using it to pay the price for our sins and raising Jesus from the dead. And this is unique to Christianity, and it is at its center, it's at its core, that what God does, the cross says that what God does is he will use suffering to bring out some kind of good, which means we can have confidence even in suffering, even when we feel weak, knowing that God's purposes for our life can never be stopped. It's the ultimate confidence, and when we are confident, then we are brave and strong. 
When my wife and I watch baseball, she sometimes says to the opposing pitcher, you know, through the TV, because he could hear, right? She tries to unnerve him, right? So she goes, oh, you can't find the strike zone. Oh, you feel your confidence slipping away. That kid who called you a dork in fourth grade, he was right. You really are a dork. And it's true, your dad really does love your brother more than you. You can't do this. That's my wife doing her part for the team. But in a way, that's kind of our lives, right? You, you, you face the job interview or that big assignment at school or even just going to a church retreat to meet new people and the voice in your head goes, you can't do this. Who do you think you are? And then we start to move in fear. Don't try for the new job. Don't try to meet new people. But Christian courage never fails because it's not dependent on circumstances. Because I know, the one thing that I know, that I know, that I know that my God does is he pulls good out of bad things and his purposes in my life cannot be stopped. Therefore, I am brave. Thank you. It is good news. And I've told you dozens and dozens and dozens of stories of people who have faced the worst, but God brought out good. This is God's war on terror. Nothing can defeat his purposes in your life. That makes you brave. Recently saw a documentary on a restaurant in Italy that has been listed as the third best restaurant in the world. So, super fancy, right? And one time one of the assistant chefs dropped a lemon tart on the counter right before it was going to be served. And it just splattered everywhere. And the assistant chef panicked, went white as a sheet, right? You don't do that in the third best restaurant in the world, right? But the head chef put his fingers in a triangle, and he said, you know, if you look at it like this, it looks like modern art. So he got a plate, sloshed lemon sauce all over it in a really sloppy way, put the broken pastry shell on it, and gave it the sophisticated name, oops, I dropped the lemon tart. <laughs> it is now one of the most popular dishes in that restaurant. People literally come from all over the world just to have, oops, I dropped the lemon tart. Okay, God is that chef. He can take any broken, lousy, messed up thing and turn it into, oops, I dropped the lemon tart, work of art. We are invincible. Therefore, we can be brave. He's given us a spirit of power. Second, of love. And love makes us brave. The more we experience God's love for us, the more we love others. Love is not a wimpy feeling. Love compels people to sacrifice for someone else. For instance, I've had several people say to me, you know, there's a Muslim family down the street or, or at my workplace, and I know I should reach out to them, but I'm afraid. Afraid of lots of things, of, of social awkwardness, of cultural differences. But some people have said, even I'm a little afraid of terrorism. Now, yes, Islamic Extremist terrorism is a huge problem and it has to be stopped. But the vast majority of Muslims are not terrorists. There are a billion of them. If they'd all wanted us dead, we would be. The car you drove here in is a far bigger threat to you. So ask the Holy Spirit to fill you with his love. Because the more you feel loved, the more you're going to want to show love to people who may feel unwelcome and unwanted. And that's just a small thing. That's just a small thing. Love can make people even sacrifice their life for another person, right? Now, none of us are probably going to have to do that, but that is the courage that love brings. Because you know what? You're going to die sometime anyway. Might you not rather die in an act of courageous love than watch an ESPN on the couch? Sort of like the old story of a guy who said, you know, when it comes my time, I want to die peacefully in my sleep like my grandfather, not screaming in terror like the passengers in his car. 
my sermon review team didn't laugh at that one, and I thought it was funny. So thank you for laughing. I kept it anyway. What do they know? We have been given a spirit of power and of love, which makes us brave, and finally of self-control. Because courage is ultimately a choice. Annie said in a, in a recent sermon, you get courage by couraging. We get courage by making a choice. See, if you do something that doesn't scare you, that's not courage, right? Courage is when you feel fear but choose to do the right thing anyway. And fear never comes from God. It comes from the evil one. Self-control, the spirit of self-control is when we choose to move in faith, not fear. Not fear of anything. Not fear of difficulties or problems or time commitments or even just fears of what other people think, which is a huge fear for me. This summer, I, I watched a lot of the Olympics. And, you know, the commentators for swimming and, and track, they were fine. But the gymnastics commentators were driving me nuts because every single person, they said, he just really needs to stick this landing. No. I thought the point was to crumple in a heap and cry like a baby, right? So I posted on Facebook that I was tired of hearing, he just really needs to stick this landing. Someone responded, well, you know, Scott, that's what we're all thinking when you're 19 minutes into your sermon. Oh. Now, you applauded, which I didn't expect. They are, they are riveted in the community center. They, you're with me, right, community center? Now, now, that comment could scare me into doing five-minute sermons. <laughs> you wish. No, 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 I am moving in faith on to my next point. Which is how do we get the power to do all this? Because God's people are defined by courage, not fear. Well, the power comes in from places you've heard me talk about a lot. Scripture that reminds us of the promises of God. Prayer and asking the Holy Spirit to fill us. The Holy Spirit. God did not give us a spirit of fear. He gave us the Holy Spirit and he is not afraid of anything. Other people to encourage us. And then we got to choose to do some maybe practical steps. So let me give just a couple of ideas of practical steps you could take to practice courage. And, 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 or you could do one of these or invent one of your own. First practical step. How about going a fear fast? I have told many people to fast for a month or so from all news, all social media. Because there's so much fear mongering and anger. And every one of those people, after just a few days of no news, no social media, they come back and they say, I feel so much better. Fear fast. Pastor Andy Stanley comments on how so many people right now in the news, social media, both right and left politically, are saying, oh my gosh, right, this is the most significant election in history. Oh, unless we elect the right person or get this or that policy enacted or un undone, right, we are doomed. Stop it. Stop it. You know why? You're scaring the children. They are looking at us. The younger generation is looking to us to model faith and courage. And if you're doing that, you fixed your eyes on a political solution, not Jesus. And that is idolatry. Politics matters, but it is not Lord. Fix our eyes on Jesus who outlasts all politics. He confronted the most powerful man in Judea, Pilate. Most powerful man. But the only reason that you know Pilate's name is because he crucified a homeless Jewish carpenter who turned out to have way more power than he did. God's power is our hope. Go on a fear fast. Second practical step, get some perspective. Things have been worse in this country. 
by far. Civil War, Great Depression, World War II, 1968, just to name a few. Even politics has been nastier. I mean, in the 1850s, Senator Thaddeus Stephen called President Buchanan a bloated mass of political putridity. Okay, that is just invective art right there, right? Like it alliterate, I mean, that's beautiful, really, right? And with the exception of Lincoln and a few others, almost every single president in the 19th century for almost 100 years, almost every one of them, total losers. Okay, we survived Millard Fillmore. We're going to be okay. The issues we face are real, but perspective helps. It's the same in our personal lives, right? Is, whatever the personal problem is, is this problem bigger than my God? You are in church, so the correct answer is no. The waves and winds still know his voice who ruled them while he dwelt below. We are fearless people. Third practical step, follow God's nudge to change a life which will lead to a harder life. It will be harder, but it will be a bigger life. See, the devil doesn't want to make us bad. He wants to make us safe. Because when we're safe, we don't do what God asks us to do. And safety is a huge idol for me and for our culture. I mean, oh my goodness, we are the most seat-belted, airbagged, bike-helmeted, knee-pad-wearing, hyper-insured, sunscreen-slathering, massively medicated, protected, inoculated generation in all of human history, and it's done nothing but make us more afraid. It ain't working. All the ways we try to be safe, safe, safe is just making us more afraid. Right? So take some risks, reach out. Following Jesus is not safe. But you know what? Moving in faith, not fear, is just more exciting and a more meaningful way to live life. Take a risk. Expand your comfort zone. Even something as simple as befriending a lonely person. I know one man who said in high school that he had no friends, felt excluded, rejected. And then this one guy started just hanging out with him, said it changed everything. He gained more confidence. He made more friends. Changed his whole life. You follow a nudge, you can change a life. That's a bigger life, even if it's a risk. Finally, moving in faith, not fear, might mean being part of one of two things, or both, two things that we're doing this fall. And the first is called Andrew's House, which aims to provide housing for homeless youth. And as we talk to experts, we learned that the most helpful way we could do that is to bring those youth into our own homes, where they can experience community and be being mentored in family. And the most helpful population would be the 18 to 25-year-olds who have aged out of foster care but still don't have the tools and the support they need to make it on their own. 18 to 25 is the most underserved homeless population. And we're working with a national organization called Friends of Youth who will vet and do background checks to ensure that any youth in the program are not a threat to themselves or to anyone else and that they're motivated to change their situation. They'll also do background checks on potential host homes. Well, we're launching a beta test this fall looking for a few folks who would provide a room in their home for three months on a trial basis that will help us learn how to expand the program. We're calling it Andrew's House because way back in the 70s, a group of people in our church, now our senior saints, started a coffee house for homeless teens called House of Andrew. See, we've been moving in faith, not fear, around this issue for decades, Bell Press. If you're feeling a little nervous right now and heart racing a little bit, that might be the Holy Spirit going, hmm. There'll be information in the lobby after this service. You can be part of that. Or the second thing that we're going to do this fall relates to something that has caused a lot of fear in our area, and that is a major earthquake. 
A lot of press about a potential earthquake scared the bejeepers out of a whole lot of people. Some people even moved after all that press came out. Well, recently in prayer, some people in our church felt God nudging us to just, just be ready. Now, it may, it may not come for 100 years, and I hope it doesn't. Um, but if it did, it got some of us thinking, what would happen? How, how should God's people respond if there was an earthquake? Cower in fear like their pastor at a baseball game? No, in faith, not fear. Like Christians in the Roman Empire, whenever the plague hit the city, you've heard me say it before, everyone left the city, but the Christians rushed in to care for plague victims. And as a result, people flocked to Jesus. They didn't know when the plague would hit. They just knew it would because that's what plagues do and they were ready. So what if rather than responding in fear, God's people brought healing and calm, had supplies not just for ourselves but to share with our neighbors? How might that change the reputation of Jesus? Hey, those Christians, they're giving it away. We talked to city officials. This is a huge thing on their radar. And one of their hopes is that we would have conversations with our neighbors about being prepared as a whole neighborhood. That's one of the things the city would like. What a great opportunity to build community, have conversations with neighbors. Hey, my church is doing this thing with the city, being prepared for the earthquake. Your church, that's interesting. What church is that? Tell me more about it. Right? Now, now, for some of you, talking to your neighbors kind of makes you a little uncomfortable. Good. Comfort zone thing, right? It's a great way to be a first century church in the 21st century. So on September 21st, October 5th, either one, we're going to have a meeting here on how to be prepared, not just for ourselves, but to give away. And there's more information in the lobby on that as well. So those are just some ideas, practical steps that we could take this week to be a little more courageous or you can invent one on your own. Where are you feeling fear these days? Where are those around you feeling fear? How can you move in faith and help heal a culture that trades in fear? I'll close with a story of two guys named Matt White and Chauncey Black. And that's a picture of them. Matt White is white. Chauncey Black is black. And that will be relevant. They met at a grocery store. When Chauncey asked if he could help load Matt's groceries into the car in exchange for a pack of donuts. Matt, who's a Christian, felt nudged by God to do more than just donuts. So he took Chauncey throughout the store, bought a whole lot of food, drove him home, and then the reality of Chauncey's life sunk in. It was heartbreaking. Chauncey lived with his mother. They had nothing, no furniture aside from a couch, no beds. The refrigerator was empty. So then Matt got another nudge, not to just give them food, but to give them hope. Chauncey is a straight-A student. And he wants to work, and he eventually wants to own his own business. So to help him with his dreams, Matt set up a GoFundMe account with the goal of raising $250 so that Chauncey could buy a lawnmower and start cutting grass for money. So far, it has raised $29,000. So it looks like Chauncey's going to college. And now these two have a great friendship. They go to church every week. Chauncey actually likes going to church. right? They play basketball. They hang out. Matt overcame any fears he might have of social awkwardness, I don't know you, or time commitments, right? He overcame all of that, any fears around that, moved in power that God could do something with Chauncey's situation, moved in love for Chauncey and self-control to choose to do the thing Jesus nudged him to do. And he's not being the great white savior. You know, he's just said, what do you need to accomplish your dreams? I'll help you with that. Hand up, not a handout. And at a time when there's a lot of racial tension in the news, here's some racial healing. And Chauncey is moving in faith, not fear. Boldly moving forward through his circumstances, 
to help find a better life for himself and for his mother. And sure, there were sacrifices on both sides, but also friendship and healing and fear is on the run and hope is on the rise because when the world is at its worst, God calls his church to be at its best. And it's just more exciting to move in faith, not fear, anyway. And we can because we belong to a powerful, almighty God. Scripture describes God as our rock and redeemer, fortress and stronghold, shield and defender, the ancient of days, alpha, omega. He is on our side. We are children of a mighty king so we can be brave. As one of our modern worship songs says, from my mother's womb you have chosen me. Love has called my name. So I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. You split the sea so I could walk right through it. My fears were drowned in perfect love. You rescued me, so I will stand and sing. I am a child of God. Hear that, church, no longer a slave to fear. I am a child to God, of God, full of faith. I am, you are, a child of God. So Jesus, thank you that you make us brave and we belong to you. So Holy Spirit, fill us with your courage. Fill us with your power. Help us to move in faith, not fear, going forward to participate with you in healing this world you love so much. Jesus, make us brave in your name. Amen.